Noah Palmer is going to be here um, giving us a message, and is Mike Strand, and I believe Mike is a friend of Aaron's from Colorado. Well, was. Was. He's a Husker now, <laughs> and we don't know if that's good or bad, but thank well, you. Yes, glad to be here. Um, if Most of you don't know me. Aaron does. Um, if you didn't know, I hate to pop the bubble, but he is not perfect. I have first-hand testimony and account of that. Um, and just so you know as well, uh, Aaron actually has become one of my closest friends in Colorado uh, over the past four years of our time together. Um, so it was really it was bittersweet to see him leave. Um, he asked me at the beginning of this past year to begin meeting weekly because uh, he was jobless and had all this free time. <laughs> and so we started meeting weekly for coffee and praying for whatever church you, that God was going to lead him to next. And so when you guys came on his radar, we started praying for you and him together for uh, months at this point. Um, so it's a joy and an honor to be here today among you. Uh, as was mentioned, my name is Mike. Uh, I am Efree of Efree. So I was born at our uh, denomination seminary in Chicago while my dad attended there. I've been at uh, multiple Efree churches. Uh, I hate to say this, but I actually grew uh, graduated from high school in Minnesota. So I'm sorry about yesterday. Yeah, my bad. I planned it perfectly, right? But for the past eight years, I've had the immense privilege of serving in uh, first an E-Free Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and then uh, now for the past four years, an E-Free Church in Longmont, Colorado. And Aaron was very relieved the day I came to Longmont, Colorado, because that meant he was no longer the youngest elder on the elder board. So we're today, I'm going to give you a charge to the congregation from Philippians chapter 2. So I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I was thinking through this passage this week and thought through these bracelets that I used to wear. So as I mentioned, I was a pastor's kid growing up in the church, and so that has become a large part of my life. These bracelets were really popular in the 90s, and they had four letters on them, WWJD. Most of us know what that is. It's what would Jesus do? What Philippians is reminding us today is, yes, we should be thinking about what would Jesus do as we go about our lives, but a more appropriate acronym is WHJD. That is, what has Jesus done on our behalves and in our lives? So we're going to read Philippians 2, verses 1 through 15 together this morning. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, 
that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you that for your Son, for sending your one and only Son on our behalf, so that because of his death and resurrection, we can now walk in the newness of life through the power of your Spirit at work in us. We thank you for your inspired and errant and authoritative word and pray that we would submit ourselves to it so that we can become more and more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's two things I want us to emphasize and focus on in this Philippians 2 passage. The first is unity, and the second is the call to be like Christ. I'm sure many of you have heard the story of a man who was deserted on a desert island. He was finally picked up after years of of being alone on this island, and there were three buildings on there. And the captain of the ship, after he was rescued, said, so what, tell me about those buildings. He said, well, that one right there is, is my house. That's where I lived. That's where I ate. That's where I slept. He said, okay, that's that one. What's that second one over there? He said, well, that's my church. That's where I worship. That's where I prayed. That's where I met with the Lord. Okay, so what about the third building? And he said, well, that's the church I used to go to. And we laugh because it's so close to many people's experiences today. I've read of another story of a church, and this one is true, who got so upset with each other, the divide was so great that they actually took each other to court, despite the clear biblical commands to settle issues with fellow believers inside the church. And the judge actually ruled that he didn't have jurisdiction over it because the denomination needed to be involved with it. The denomination higher-ups listened to both sides of the argument, said it was a very difficult situation, but eventually awarded the building and the land to one side of the debate. So the other side just went up and left, took their toys and planted a church down the road, the American church planting way. As the local church or local news began digging into this story, they eventually uncovered what had led to the split. At a potluck, or as my dad instilled within me a pot blessing, one of the elders was served a smaller piece of ham than the child sitting next to him. How else would you deal with getting a smaller piece of ham than suing them? Well, Paul here in Philippians 2 tells us exactly how we should deal with a situation like that, which begins with our mindset, the way we think. You see, we're called throughout the Bible, not just this section. We're called to unity, not disunity. We're called to honor and serve each other even higher than we honor ourselves. And at the base level, we're all called to act like Jesus toward each other, which, as many of you know, is super easy. So what should our mindset be? We see four things that Christians we, we get as Christians here in, in verse 1 here. We have encouragement, we have comfort and love, we have participation or fellowship in the Spirit, and affection or sympathy and mercy towards each other. And because of those four things that we have, we can all be unified by being of the same mind. Or as the Net Bible says, we can all feel the same way. Our unity should be so close that we can feel the same way. That's the depth of our union that we have with Christ. We have a family, these familial bonds. It's similar to what Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But notice as well verse 3, where we're commanded to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That word humility is not one that has ever been fashionable. Yet it's what Christ commands us to do. Even in the New Testament era, humility was was considered a vice, and pride was considered a a virtue. Not much has changed in 2,000 years, has it? Those who were humbled were actually maligned, mocked mercilessly in the culture, yet as Proverbs 3.34 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
After all, our Lord and Savior is the perfect model of humility, as we'll see in this wonderfully Christological hymn. Let's read verses 5 through 11 again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We begin this section, as we saw earlier, of the need to keep something at the forefront of our minds. And in this case, it's the exact same thoughts that Jesus had. So that leads us to a question for today. How is your thought life? Many of us have heard the the well-known phrase, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. You see, we need to preach to ourselves instead of sitting around listening to ourselves. Daily, we are commanded to preach the gospel to ourselves. There's a wonderful book by Martin Lloyd-Jones titled Spiritual Depression, in which he says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. He mentions Psalm 42, where the psalmist says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Have hope in the Lord. That's what we need to remind ourselves of on a daily basis. And this is also how Jesus lived, preaching these truths to himself, reminding himself that he came not to do his will, but the will of his Father who sent him. Jesus, who despite being God, did not come to serve himself, but to serve others. And let's see these truths of who Christ was here. It says, who though, he, who though he was in the form of God. This word form here is really difficult to translate from the Greek. Literally, it's referring to something that corresponds to reality. So there's no one-for-one translation for that from Greek into English, which is why translators have gone with form. So what Paul is saying here is he's not saying Jesus was like God. He's emphasizing the fact that Jesus was truly God. And he doubles down on that in the second half of the verse. He did not count equality with God thing to be grasped. Here again is this reminder that he was already equal with God. He was God, but didn't hold on to it so tightly that nothing could come between it. So despite being equal to God, despite being God, he submitted himself. It says he emptied himself. Have you ever tried grasping and holding on tightly to water? My family and I had the immense privilege this summer of going to Hawaii for vacation and taking my son to the beach for the first time was a spectacle because that's exactly what he tried to do. As the waves would come in, bubbles would come up in the water, and he would try to grab them and look at them. It was falling out of his hands. The rest of us had a really good chuckle about it. But what things do you try to grasp onto too tightly? What are you unwilling to let go of to be obedient to God? We've seen here Jesus, the the original exaltation, God being glorified. He was equal to God. We then see his humiliation and his death on the cross. Then the literal translation of this being highly exalted is super exaltation. Because someday, everyone, everywhere will bow their knee to him, to Jesus as the creator, sustainer, and savior of the world. So then we see what we must do to live differently. Verse 12 starts with, therefore. And a quick note, if you're studying your Bibles, anytime you see the word therefore, ask, what is it therefore? So here we see, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
Because of this reality of who Jesus Christ is, we as believers must live different lives. You see, there's this interplay between theology proper and practical theology. Or another way of thinking about it is doctrine and devotion. The way I talk about it is theology and doxology. So our theology, our understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is, must lead us to doxology, which is worship, praise, and adoration, because God alone is worthy to be praised. All of our lives are to be an offering of worship. And first we see here this command to obey. What are we supposed to obey? Well, we're supposed to obey what is commanded in verse one or chapter 1, verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What that means is worship God with everything you do. That's what it means to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a continual need to grow in your discipleship. It's not enough to simply say you're a Christian and then get on with the rest of your life. It's not like the man who tells his wife, I told you I loved you when we got married. If it changes, I'll let you know. We actually need to be actively engaged with our worship, with our love, with our adoration of God and who he is. But then moving on in this Philippians passage, we see this beautiful interchange between our work and God's work. In verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, the point of this is nothing good starts with us. All of it goes back to God. God's grace is at work in our lives from the beginning to the very end, from A to Z. So allow God's spirit to work in you to accomplish his good will. So what does that look like? Well, let's look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Why do you think Paul picked grumbling and complaining as the primary issues here? I think it's, it's because they seem to be the primary issues that continue plaguing the church today. As a worship pastor, I see this almost weekly. People grumbling and complaining about the music not being what they like. And I'm sure no one does that here. But if you're tempted to, look at the previous verse. See, the focus is all centering around God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And what is the purpose of this? Verse 15 says to be blameless and innocent, a light shining into the darkness, into the world. You see, the world is watching. They will watch how we as Christians get along. There's a wonderful little book by Francis Schaeffer titled The Mark of the Christian. And spoiler alert, the mark of the Christian is love. We are commanded to love each other. But he tells a story in there of a group of German Christians who were living together during World War II. And in order to control the church, Hitler commanded the union of all religious groups in Germany, drawing them together under law. The specific church, the brethren, divided over this issue. Half accepted Hitler's dictum and half of them refused. The ones who submitted, of course, had a much easier time during the Holocaust. But gradually in this organizational oneness with the liberal groups with their own doctrinal sharpness and spiritual life withered. On the other hand, the group that stayed out remained spiritually viral, but there was hardly a family which someone did not die in a German concentration camp. Now, can you imagine the emotional tension as they got back together? The war is over and these Christian brothers have to face each other again. They had the same doctrine and they had worked together for more than a generation. Now, what is going to happen? One man remembers that his father died in a concentration camp and knows that those people over there remain safe. But people on this side have deep personal feelings as well. Then gradually, these brothers came to know that this situation would just not do. And the time was appointed when the elders of the two groups could meet together in a certain quiet place. 
Francis Schaeffer says, I asked the man who told me this, what did you do? And he said, well, I'll tell you what we did. We came together and set aside several days in which each man would search his own heart. There was a real difference. The emotions were deeply, deeply stirred. My father has gone to the concentration camp. My mother was dragged away. These things are not just little pebbles on the beach. They reach into the deep wellsprings of human emotions. But these people understood the command of Christ at this place. And for several days, every man did nothing except search his own heart concerning his own failures and the commands of Christ. Then they met together. Francis Schaeffer said, what happened then? And the man replied, we were just one. To my mind, this is exactly what Jesus speaks about. The Father has sent the Son so that we can be unified. Let's pray. God, we thank you that because of your spirit and work within us and because of the sacrifice of your Son and to your glory alone, we can be unified as you have commanded us to do. We pray that we would follow in Christ's steps, that he would be the focus of everything that we do in all of our lives so that we can become more and more and more like him for your glory alone. God, I pray for York E. Free Church, that they would be a light shining into the darkness, that people would look at them and say something is different about them. They actually love each other. They genuinely care about each other. And because of that, God, we pray that you would draw people to yourself in York and the surrounding communities. We know it's not for our glory, but for yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that very much. Uh, some of you I've gotten to know a little bit. That's good. I still remember I need a footstool up here for me with, with this thing. I'm one of the short ones around. So, uh, it, anyway, it's good, good to be back with you. I, I purposely didn't sit by Mike back there because I knew we would talk all the time, so I didn't want to be doing that. <laughs> Moved over here, but it's good to meet uh, Mike again. I know his father very well, and uh, we've spent some good time together in Minneapolis and in other places uh, with his father. So, uh, yeah. Congregation, you received a challenge there, a wonderful challenge. Speaking of humility and unity, love, those things that uh, we all have to have in order for a church to be a good church. I was, I was sitting over here, so from that angle, I could kind of look and see the balcony. And I was just thinking about envisioning that balcony needing to be used. That that now balcony would be filled by God's good work through you, through what you can accomplish. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful, not just a dream but a wonderful possibility that could happen here in York. And that can happen and will happen as you follow what was just given to you. And as we have a couple other challenges I get to do, uh, one to the, to the elder board here. Uh, that's my challenge. And then finally, one to Aaron himself. Uh, elder board, let me see your hands. Where are you? You're scattered out? Okay. All right. Oh, one down in front. Yeah, Spencer's right up close. Good. You can listen well, Spencer. That's good. Yes. All right. Well, um, allow me to just say it. You must be spiritually healthy. The board of this church must be, must be spiritually healthy. If you're not consistently walking close to Jesus, you will eventually mess this church up. 
I've been a DS, district superintendent, for seven years. I've seen that action happen time and time again. So I can speak a little experience and a little strength there, but at the same time with, with God's love, because I know what he can do in you guys, and I know how you can work together as you allow him to do that. Uh, take those steps that are on that godly path. I, I was reminded that how important it is to stay on the right path when I first took this job. I, uh, first day of my week, uh, I started June, right, first part of June, the first Monday, whatever that was, uh, of June back in 2012. And that first Monday of my job, I get a phone call from Stromsburg. Uh, pastor there said, hey, Noah, can you come preach for me this next Sunday? And I, I said, Carrie, I just started this job Monday. I've been preaching 33 years straight now, and, and now I think I can trade a little transition, and now you want me to... Sure, he's my friend. He knew he could ask me. And so I was just giving him a hard time. So I'm driving east on uh, I-80. I was in Kearney at the time, heading east on I-80 early in the morning so I could get there in time. And I see the sun coming up. Uh, and boy, it's just really bright and just cresting there, and it gets brighter and brighter. And uh, it was so significant to me because I hadn't seen a sunrise probably for about 12 years. Not because, I'm an old guy, we wake up early, you understand that. Not because I wasn't awake, but because I lived in Wisconsin. I was there for 12 years, there's trees everywhere. So you, you don't see the sun until about 10 o'clock, then you see it. You know. And so I watched the sun come up and it got brighter and brighter, and it reminded me of the proverb which says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. And God just drove that in through me, that, okay, the path of the righteous, the path that we are to stay on as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, yeah, it's uphill. <laughs> and we are to keep progressing on that path. And as we do, we'll, the sun will be brighter and brighter. It'll be like that. We'll keep progressing until the full day, until you and I are in heaven, until we are made perfect in that way. Until then, we are to stay on that path and more brightly reflect the light and glory of God. So that's our job. That's what we're to be as Christians. That's where, where we are to be and what we are to do. That, ha that verse has become my focus as a DS, district superintendent. That, my focus is to help pastors to stay on that right path, keep walking closer to Jesus. My focus is to help elders to do that. My focus is to help churches to stay on that right path, grow closer and closer to Jesus. And, of course, that has to be a focus of my own. If I am encouraging everybody else to do that, I have to stay there and make sure that that needs to be happening. And it should be evident. My wife, Kathy, she needs to be able to be saying every year, say, Noah, I've noticed a little improvement here. <laughs> it's taken 43 years, but I see, you know, to be able to say, I, I see some, imp you are listening better. You're actually concerned about what I think. Uh, that those things be increasing because I'm walking on the path that God has for all of us to walk on. Board, help each other be spiritual, spiritual help, spiritually healthy. Help each other to grow in Christ. Keep each other on the right path. Encourage each other to keep progressing, never resting, never rest. Oh boy, done all this work these last couple of years. Now I can take a break. We got a pastor, throw it all on his shoulders. <laughs> uh, no. You've gotten used to what hard work is within a church. 
Keep doing it. Keep helping. Keep going. Uh, and I, I hope all of you, congregation and board alike, realize that God has called Pastor Aaron to this church. Not your search team, not your vote as a congregation. It's God's calling. That, just realize that. He is here to protect, to teach, and lead. To protect, to teach, and lead. Please, never treat your pastor as a hired hand. So often, that's the view of the congregation. So often, that is the view of a board. Oh, he's, he's our hired hand. We've hired him to come do this. Don't see him, in that, see him as God's man. God has appointed him here. He's not to be your chaplain, although he will hold your hand at times. He's not to be your chaplain. He is to be your captain. Now understand that. Realize that. See him and respect him in that way. Now, I know that after a while, you will discover that Aaron is not Jesus. That's another way of saying he's not perfect. <laughs> yeah, we, we know. No, yeah. He is liable to make a mistake or two. You know, that's, that's kind of, kind of going to happen. Possibly, possibly, possibly could happen. And it's at those times, board, that you are to point your finger in his face and say, Aaron, I mean, wait a minute. Or is that how you should instruct and help your pastor? Is that the best way? I, it, was, it was early on in my ministry, uh, probably about the age of Aaron, that God hit me in the head with a two-before because I was uh, uh, a little bit like that guy in the back there. You can see he got a lot of energy and he's a lot of zeal and he probably can argue an argument pretty well uh, as his father really does well. And uh, I, I'm... Not up to his father's level in that case. But, uh, yes, uh, I felt like when I got in a discussion with someone, and I believed I was right. Of course I was, you know. But I believed I was right. Uh, my goal in that time was to prove that I am right. Let's take out the word of God. Let me show you right here. And, and God really hit me with the two before in First Timothy uh, 1.5. It says that the goal of our instruction is love. The goal of our instruction is love. Now, that had not been my goal. My goal was to show, I'm right, I'm going to prove it to you, and let's, let's get into it. Here we go. Here we are. And God, he really did. It was just like a boom. It's whoa. And what he helped me learn for me from that verse, and from that little few words there in front of you, is that when I'm in a discussion with someone, or an argument with someone, and I'm trying to help prove that I'm right, I've got to back up and say, that's not my goal. My goal is love. In other words, when I get through with that discussion with Aaron, and we've had a disagreement, and, and I've let him have it in a good way, uh, but, but all of that, when I walk away from that, that Aaron would be able to say, huh, you know, I, I don't agree with what Noah said. I know he's off base, but, but I, you know what? He cares for me. He loves me. That's what God wants us to do. When, you, when we are correcting and trying to instruct someone in how they should be, uh, you, you want, board members, you want to know what would make it a joy for Aaron to be your pastor? Uh, you, some of you are familiar with Hebrews 13, 17, where it says that you need to make it a joy for your leaders to, to lead. You know what would make it a joy for Aaron to be your pastor? If when you try, if 
When you try to correct him and guide him and lead him in a different way of thinking, then Aaron could walk away from that conversation saying to himself, wow, that board really does love me. Then he could go home to Ellie and say to Ellie, you know, Ellie, that idea I told you about that I thought was fantastic and I took it to the board. They didn't agree at all. <laughs> they, matter of fact, they thought it was pretty dumb. Uh, 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 but, but you know what, Ellie? That board loves me. Very few pastors' wives ever hear that kind of statement when there's been a disagreement. But that's the goal of our instruction. That's how we are to be, elders, Christians. We have a disagreement. Okay, we can have a robust discussion about that. And we don't come out of... But when we come out on the other end, brothers and sisters, if we're following what the Word of God says to us, people will see. They love each other. They love each other. A new commandment that we love one another. Board, be spiritually mature. Now let, me, let me get a little practical here. Let me say this. Maybe I shouldn't, but I will. <laughs> I usually say it anyway. Uh, say what you think at the board meeting. It's a lack of spirituality. It's a lack of maturity. It's a lack of integrity to walk out of the board meeting and spend 30 minutes in the parking lot saying to some other board member, what do you really think about that? Or you get home and you call them up on the phone and you say, hey, you know, that discussion we had, you know, I, I didn't agree with it. That is a lot. Let me just say it this way. Board, be man enough and mature enough to say what you think at the meeting. You disagree, fine. Talk it through, talk it through, talk it through. And then when you leave that meeting, you speak with one voice even if you didn't get your way because you are a board that is to work in unity. I'm not talking about unanimity. Not at all. Not that you would think is Not at all. But unity. You don't have to think alike to have unity. Mike's already stressed that for us. You've got to be on the same page as to God's vision for this church. You as a board and you as pastor. So pastor and board have to work together, strive together, think together, pray together, and come out on the other end of that after time. Don't do this overnight. To say, this is God's vision. We believe this is God's vision for this church. And to be unified around that and together to, to labor, to use your various gifts, abilities, and talents to move this church forward for God's vision for this church. That's, that's where it is. So board members, I have a, a statement that, let me throw it up here so you can look at it. Uh, I think it's going to come up. Yeah. Uh, you see what it says. By God's enabling power, by God's, you cannot do this. What I've just talked about, no board in the whole country can do that apart from God working in their hearts, apart from God working through them and helping them to to have see others as more important than themselves, to humble themselves in meetings, especially when you know the other guy's wrong. <laughs> we can't do that. Apart.
from God's enabling power. So, boy, I, this is my charge, the challenge to you. By God's enabling power, will you be spiritually healthy and make it a joy for Pastor Aaron to serve with you? I'm going to read it one more time. You've heard it there. And if you are willing for that, please answer, I will. By God's enabling power, Lord, will you be spiritually healthy and make it a joy for Pastor Aaron to serve with you? Hold each other to that, guys. When somebody gets out of whack, let them know. Let them know. Help them to get back on the right path, the path of righteousness. Now for my new friend Aaron. If you think that was tough, well, you get your stuff here, yeah. Uh, let me, there's so much to being a pastor. You already know that. Everybody knows that. Let me just touch on a couple of verses, and you can study all the rest some other time. But Psalm 78, 72 says, speaking of King David's rule of the people, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with skillful hands. Shepherded them and guided them. Let me, let me just focus on a couple of words here. The first is the integrity word. Integrity. Integrity is defined as honesty and strong moral uprightness. Great definition. Honesty and strong moral uprightness. Pastor Ann walked that path of integrity. It's tough at times, even for pastors. Yeah, to be totally honest, we, we like to make ourselves look good. We want to be as anyone does. But, but, but yeah, so sometimes, oh, was, that, was that the full truth? Was that the honest? It's tough. It's tough. But walk that path of honesty and integrity. Don't stray from it. And, let me, I say don't stray from it, but we will. When, you, when your foot gets off the right path, quickly get it back on. Quick confession. Quick, Lord, Lord, forgive me. I mean, give me back there. Help me out. To move back quickly on that right path, the righteous path that God has for us, for each of us to be walking. Psalm 26, 1 says this, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Aaron, I've had to pray that prayer a lot of times. Because any, any person that's a pastor that's doing anything, any person that's a pastor that's trying to help the church to move forward, there will be change. There, and when they're doing anything, when something happens, there will be resistance. And there will be times that it stings. Someone will say something that is not true. Maybe they misunderstood you. Maybe they, someone else said something. All that happens. It's then that we can say, Lord, vindicate me, for I've walked in my integrity. That's a wonderful prayer to be able to pray. It's tough to be able to pray it honestly. But do that. Walk in that integrity. Uh, David, shepherded with integrity. Uh, another word there is skill. Skill. Skillful speaks of, learn, uh, skillful speaks of, of leading well. L leading well. Skillfully to, to lead this congregation. That, that, that's an ongoing job. Uh, Aaron Rogers uh, does a good job with Green Bay Packer of leading skillfully, doing that. We understand that. As any Packer fans, let's see, maybe back. No, let's see. That'd be Vikings, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. 
To do this as a pastor, to lead skillfully, you must keep learning and gaining wisdom. It, it, it comes with time. It comes with experience, of course. But keep keep allowing that to happen. You, Aaron, you will not always be right. Okay? That, everybody knows that. You're not always going to be right. And Ellie, why are you smiling when I say that? You see, that's one way God helps us with our humility. When we, when we found out, oh my, I was wrong. But it's in this process of becoming the pastor God desires you to be. It's in this process that you must keep growing in grace and knowledge. Read well. Listen well, especially to your DS. Listen well. And listen to your friends. Listen to those that are trying to help you. Most of the time, their hearts will be right. They're trying to help. Listen. Don't just argue back. Listen. And then after you listen, you can say what you think on that. But listen. But mainly listen to God. Mainly listen to God. Lean on Him. Constantly, consistently leaning on Him. Gaining more skill in shepherding. And and, and as you shepherd well, that reverse of Hebrews uh, 13, 17 will be true. It'll be a joy for them to have you as pastor. Not only a joy for you for, for, for you to make it a joy for Aaron to be your pastor, as you shepherd well, it would be a joy for them in their view of this whole thing. Second verse for us today is in 2 Timothy 4 2. It says, Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Verse most of us pastors are exposed to early on and saying, Yes, that's that's it. We've got to preach the word. Ah, so, yeah. This is your authority. This is your playbook. This is where you go, guide you, help you, lead you, preach, preach the word of God. The, verse, the, the next thing says, be ready. That's kind of like a hinge. It goes both ways. Preach the word. It just says, so it hinges back. It looks back to preach the word. It looks at the other side of it. Be ready in season, out of season. Sometimes it's in season for you in the sense that people are ready to hear and it's all there. And it's, other times it's not. But whatever it is to be ready. There's no off-season for you as pastor to always be ready to proclaim, to proclaim the Word of God. And how will you be ready? How will you be ready, Aaron? It's yourself being spiritually healthy. Knowing with yourself what it is that helps you to walk close to Jesus. Now, I'm, I'm really serious about know yourself really well. That that thing that you do, that when you walk away from it, you go, wow, man, I need to do that. That's good for me. I need this type of relationship with Jesus. Whether it's praying out loud or walking into, uh, or some people journal. I journal for two years because Blackaby told me to make me spiritual. I don't like journaling. I quit it finally. But it, you know, it wasn't the best thing for me. What is the best thing for you? Understand that well. And don't forsake that. Stay with that. That makes you walk close with Jesus. That will help you be that type of person that is always ready to proclaim the word in season and out of season. And then everybody here, notice what the scripture tells a pastor to do? Uh, reprove. <laughs> okay. Preach the word. Uh, be ready in and out of season. Reprove the congregation. Reprove an individual as needed. Now, reprove has a sense of more of a warning. It's like we do every now and then and say, yeah, you, you play a fire, you'll get burned. 
that, that, that's a reproof. Or we, you may need to say something like, if we continue doing ministry as we are, we will never get close to God's desire for us. That's a bit of a reproof. Or you may need to say to some man or some woman, if every major change we make has to be filtered through your personal preference, we will never be the church we need to be. That's, that's a reproof. He's told to do that. You, know, you understand. Aaron, to, he has to give reproofs. Uh, now, if you do it with the right heart, they're more likely to listen <laughs> if they know you care. But it's part of your job. Look at the next part. Reprove, rebuke. Woo, that's a little bit stronger. Reprove is correction. Re, uh, reprove is, is, is a warning. Rebuke is more like a correction. It has a correcting element to it. It's like saying something very direct. Stop being prideful. It's like, be generous towards the poor in our community. Or, don't just hang out with your friends. Reach out to others that you don't even know. That's a rebuke. That's a rebuke. Congregation, individuals here, if Pastor Aaron is doing his job, there will be times he reproves you, even rebukes you. Congregation, individuals, don't see that well, let me just say, don't be defensive when that happens. Oh, boy, I, most of us, the hair goes up on our back. Somebody tries to correct us. But you know, we're ready to argue. Back. This is God's man for you. Listen to him. Because he's just been told to reprove and rebuke. If he doesn't do that, he is not doing his job. <laughs> this last summer, Vern and Doris Miller were at our house. We have a little deck out the back of our house, and we had them over for, for a meal. Vern and Doris are probably, hmm, gosh, uh, 15, 17 years our senior, senior, older than Kathy and I. Uh, we, uh, uh, they, we pastored them in North Platte back in the, uh, 87 to 2000. Vern Miller was quite, quite a, he was a rancher. He, was, he had a strong back and strong mind and strong opinion. And Vern, Vern was a, a good old guy, but he, he sometimes would get a little bit out of line. And so Doris and Vern are at, in our backyard, in our deck, Kathy and I, are, we're having them, having them over for a barbecue, and we're sitting there talking about the good old days, you know, back in the 90s and when we were there. And then he says, uh, then, then Vern said, boy, I sure miss Dick Schultz. Dick Schultz, uh, I, I did his funeral this last summer. Good friend of Vern's, good friend of mine. Again, a few years older than, than, than I. Same age as Vern. He said, I sure miss Dick Schultz. Dick Schultz. Then he looked over at me and said, No, you remember when you and Dick came out my house? And I said, oh, What? No, when you guys came out there and got after me. <laughs> I said, well, Oh, yeah, Vern. Yeah, I do remember now. Yeah, we, we did. Elder Dick and Pastor Noah came to Vern's house because Vern had been a bad boy. And we needed to come and, and, and correct him, rebuke him. That was not fun. That was not fun. He didn't take it well. But he's telling me now, you, did, you guys did the right thing. I needed that. It helped me. Not at the moment. It took him a little while, but it helped him. That's, that's not easy to do. It's hard to do. But if we're following God, if we, and, and I loved Vern, he knew it. Dick loved Vern, he knew it. So we were the right guys to go tell him, you got to change, Vern. You can't keep doing what you're doing. And by the way, he did change. 
And he's telling me about it with joy 20-something years later. Reprove, rebuke. Then, then the next word is really positive. We love this one. Exhort. Exhort. Encourage the congregation all the time. Uh, the word is parakaleo. It, it just means call, call alongside of, to say, come on, come on. It means that you're walking so close with Jesus because you've been staying on top of that thing well and, and that you, you are able to say to the congregation, Para, come on, come on, I exhort you. Let's move forward together with Jesus. Let's move forward for what he has in our lives. Let's change some things that help us be more godly. It's exhorting in a real positive sense. That, and it's in a way that you want to follow. Because you see, live such an example of Christ that they see you're worth following. And that's tough too. That's tough too. And all of this reproving and rebuking and exhorting is to be with great patience and clear instruction. Aaron, you do these things in this way with the right heart with love and concern, and you will be a joy to this congregation. Aaron, I'd, I'd like to ask you to stand for your little statement here. I, I have something for you, and again, it's by God's enabling power. You see what it says. I'll let you kind of glance through it, and I'll read it to you in just a second, and if it is something you will affirm to answer, I will. Aaron, will you, by God's enabling power, preach the word and lead with integrity and skill and make it a joy for the congregation that you are their pastor? If so, say, I will. Praise God. Aaron, I'd like to ask you to come on up. Elliot, you too, please. And the elders, if you're here, we would like to biblically, in the sense of laying hands on and pray for Aaron as he, uh, I guess we have most room right over here. So, elders, come on up. Uh, Mike, please, too. Yes. As you have read in Scripture, you every now and then see that they lay hands on someone for commissioning them to something, uh, sending them off. Well, we're commissioning to stay right here for a long time and let God work in you and through you as a congregation and in you and through you as a board and in you and through you as pastor and wife. Uh, let's see. We don't want to all pray. Let me... Uh, Spencer, chairman. I th- you're still chairman? Okay. You get to pray. And then, you know, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, let's, let's have... Uh, Mike, you, you have a quick prayer, then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll conclude this time. Dear Lord, we just come to you today and just uh, thank you for um, bringing Aaron to uh, serve you at the North Free Church. We just uh, thank you for the men and women that have prayed that we don't know about for this uh, day to come. And uh, we just uh, thank you that this is a man that you call to serve Amen. here at the York Free Church and that uh, you have a plan for this, uh, for Aaron. That uh, after hearing uh, the sermon today and, and uh, just knowing what our responsibility as elders are, Lord, that uh, you would uh, give us the strength and Amen. encouragement that we need to know our weaknesses, but to uh, do what we've been called to do as elders. Amen. And Aaron can do what he has been called to do as a pastor of this church. 
him and his family to uh, to take up, Lord, and move here to follow the Word of God, Lord, to follow you, to Amen. follow his calling that you have uh, called him to in this church. And we just uh, thank you for all these men standing up here that are laying hands on Aaron to uh, show support and that they are um, showing their will, Lord, that they are here to support they have been called to do. Yes. And just, uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Lord, each of these things, I, amen, I say amen to wonderful statements of prayer. Uh, Lord, we do pray that for this church, that it will be obvious to the community that uh, it is walking in the light of Jesus, that they will see that reflected in each person, in the congregation, in the board. Aaron and Ellie, in the light of Jesus, we pray for you. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, on behalf of the Evangelical Free Church of America, the Midwest District, and this church, you are officially installed as pastor and wife. Yes, I'll shake her hand first. Yeah. Good job.